Hello, friends and um, brothers and sisters at Cash Eye Baptist. We are here today in Sunday School, getting ready to start our Session 6, dealing with the passage of Romans 6. Well, we can sure agree that we are living in unusual times. But as we read God's Word, we see that times of trouble and trials are not new to this earth. The one thing we know and can have confidence in God is in control, and none of this has caught him by surprise. Isn't it a gift as believers in Jesus to have his word and his spirit to guide us through these troubled waters? It is with great expectation and trust in the Lord that we begin session six of our study in the book of Romans. Today around our Sunday school table, we have Nene Whitehead, who is today's teacher, Ron Miller, who is also co-teacher, Pastor Todd Sienski, and myself, Joe Sienski. As we get ready before the um, unfolding of the study in Romans 6, let's review what we've studied so far. In session 1, we studied Romans 1, verses 1 through 17. Paul introduced himself as a servant of Christ Jesus, an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This lesson concluded with the theme of the book, the righteousness of God, so wonderfully declared in Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Then, session two, week two, we studied Romans one and concluded that chapter in verses 18 through 32. Paul here lays out how the Greeks, also known as Gentiles, are guilty before God because while he has revealed himself in creation, they did not worship him as creator, but worship the creation instead. Therefore, Greeks are declared guilty before a righteous God. Then session three was Romans chapter two, through chapter 3, verse 20. The Jews who had the law boast in the law, but they do not keep the law. So therefore, they are also declared guilty before God. Paul concludes in Romans 3, 9, For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Then, session 4 was Romans 3, verses 21 through chapter 4, 25. In these verses, Paul explains Jesus endured the wrath of God on the cross and paid the penalty of our sins, the penalty of death. The good news, the gospel, is this. We can be declared righteous, that is justified, through faith in Jesus, and it is for all people. Paul further explains that the way to appropriate God's righteousness is and has always been through faith in him. Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness because he believed God. Faith is the only way to appropriate the righteousness of God offered us through Jesus Christ. And then last week, we did session 5, which covered the chapter of Romans 5. Paul explained the benefits of our justification in Christ, and they are many. We have peace with God. We have access to our Heavenly Father. We have the hope of the glory of God. 
We can rejoice in afflictions because God works it out for our good. We have God's love poured out in our hearts. And we now have the Holy Spirit of God in us. While we were once enemies of God and under his wrath because of our sin, Paul concludes describing the benefits of our justification in Romans 5.10. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? We are now friends of God through Jesus. How generous our God is to us. Before I pray and turn the class over to Nene for today's lesson in Romans 6, may I challenge you and your family to memorize the theme verse for Romans. Romans 1, 16-17 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. May the word of God dwell in you richly. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time you've given us to open your word and discover who you are. Thank you that you don't leave us in the dark about who you are and what you are doing in the world, but that you have revealed yourself and your will to us through the Bible, your sacred words. Lord, we need wisdom as we study your word. You promise us in James 1.5 that we only have to ask for wisdom to receive it. Lord, please give Nini your wisdom to ably and accurately explain your word this morning. Help us discern the truth of this text and not rely on our own understanding. Thank you, God, for the clarity, instruction, encouragement, and hope your word brings. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd like to wish everybody a good morning and thank you for being with us. And thank you, Joe, for that um, intro. Um, just want to briefly uh, talk about the name of our lesson is free. Um, all who accept the gospel find freedom from the guilt of sin. Um, if you have your um, books, we're just on page 51. And um, I'm going to briefly kind of, on page 52, we under the under, understand the context. Just kind of, um, Joe has covered the territory that we've already been. And now I just want to kind of touch on some highlights. Um this, this, this uh, lesson deals with Romans 6, 1 through 7, 25. But um, as you see, this lesson will just cover 1 through 14. So I just want to remind you that um, in this lesson we're dealing with the gospel. We have freed us from sin, but we will not get into chapter 7, but I encourage you to go to chapter 7 when, you know, sometime this week and go through it. It's still in, uh, talking about the gospel frees us from the law. And uh, an important part of that will be set 7, 13 through 24, which is a good help to us because it's where Paul lets us know that, um, you know, we're, you know, he's not perfect as we're not, and he has struggles living the Christian life. And that should be an encouragement with us because this is a journey and a process for all of us. But um, it's, it's humbling and encouraging at the same time that, that he uh, states that in chapter 7. 
So, um, like I said, we're just dealing with the 1 through 14 uh, this time, and we're moving ahead with Paul. He's moving from freedom from the penalty of sin to freedom from the power of sin, which is, you know, where we're talking mostly today. So initially, I just want to read through 1 through 14, and then we'll go back into our sections and deal kind of verse by verse. Okay. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized unto his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, and in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is free from sin. Okay, so let's go back and talk about this um, verse by verse. Um, Remember that in chapter 5, one of the, uh, in chapter 5 verse 20, uh, Paul wrote, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And if you have your book, and, um, it alludes to this in the, on uh, page 52 at the very top. It says, In Rome, Jews and Gentiles alike were tempted to think their forgiveness and eternal security gave them a license to live any way they pleased. Sin didn't really matter because sins could be confessed and cleansed. But Paul emphasized a different path, and that's what we're dealing with in these verses right here. He's trying to, uh, he said that, and he is so good at seeing where things are going to go, how people's minds work, and so he's trying to head them off at the pass before he gets any further. Um, so that's what we're dealing with in this 1 through 14, uh, how he handles that situation. Um, as we're um, in those 14 verses, to just think about, um, there were some questions, or at the bottom of 52 it said, think about motivations for living a God-honoring life as we go through these sections too, and how those motivations can be borne out in faith, our faith in Jesus. Okay, you notice that he starts out with, what should we say then? And he does that quite often. In fact, he does that another in this little, another time in this section of verses. Um, but it's a very interesting way because he is asking that, but he knows the answer and he knows they know the answer. They're Christians. He knows they know. This is a rhetorical question. He's asking it to make a big point. He's asking it for the drama to get their attention. Um, you know, he thinks it's ridiculous. He knows the answer and they should know it and he's trying to impress that upon, upon them. Um, if more sin leads to more grace, why not sin as much as possible and magnify God's grace? He thinks that's ridiculous. And uh, he and they should feel the same way, and so should we. Um, in the second verse where it says, absolutely not, um, I want to allude that the King James Version, which is what I usually read, it says, God forbid, <laughs> and which is more emphatic and probably might be uh, more appropriate. But... Um, 
he's used that. I thought that was kind of interesting. And you'll see that on page 53 about um, the second paragraph under verses two, uh, 1 and 2. He says, it's used 10 times in Romans that absolutely not. And it's to distinguish orthodox teaching from heresy, which is kind of interesting. And like I said, in a King James Version, it's God forbid. The reason was simple. No one who claims the power of the gospel should intentionally go looking for chances to sin. Uh, at the bottom of that page, when we accept Christ's death as a sacrifice for our sins, we don't just disavow sin, we die to it. That's how we end that little sentence down there, dead people can't eat or drink or go out with friends, so sure can't sin. But this is, and it's a difficult concept for us, so, and that's what he's trying to talk us through here. Um, then on page 54 at the top, um, and I'm just randomly going through this, but you can follow along. Um, when we accept Christ's death as the sacrifice for our sins, we don't just disavow, we die. While sin might continue its attempt to have influence, believers no longer should respond to the old stimuli that led us down that path. And I want you to see that also in should. He doesn't ever say that we will never sin again. I mean, we're, we're dead. We, we are died. We died to our sins in Him, but that's not what He's saying, that we uh, will never sin again. Um, and that part about believers no longer should respond. You know, we're the ones who have to guard that gate and to make sure that our hearts and minds are in the right place. And that also um, is kind of in that first verse when he said, should we continue? And that's what he's kind of meaning there. You know, we don't need to continue. We shouldn't continue. But we're humans. You know, we're sinful by nature. So, you know, we have to guard against continuing in that behavior. Uh, that causes us to continue sinning. All right, verses 3 and 4, and I'll just briefly go through those. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Okay, so he's going. He's using the uh, ordinance of baptism to get his point across in these Verses. Um, the act serves as a confession that Jesus died in our place and that our sins have been buried with him. And I'm at the bottom of page 54. Burial is the ultimate proof of physical death, and being buried with him is the ultimate confession of our death to sin. But burial is only one part of the baptism. Just as Jesus did not stay in the tomb, believers do not stay under the water. God raised Jesus by his glory, and he raises believers to live for his glory as well. No longer under the domination of sin, we're to tell the world um, that we intend to walk in resurrection power of Jesus. They leave the old behind. Um, and that was, you remember the comment about old, so you'll see the comment on old self. That's the self that's in rebellion. While it's easy, now I'm on, I'm on page 55, while it's easy to interpret baptism as a public confession of our salvation, it really means much more. It's also a public confession of our faith moving forward. Baptism acknowledges that we have died to our past and that we intend to live for Christ in the future. That future should not include a desire to go back into the bondage of sin. 
there's a question in the middle of that page. How does the act of baptism demonstrate what has happened in the believer's life? Um, and some of you may think about that. You know, as you're lowered into the water, that's a symbol of his we have being buried with him. When we're raised out of the water, it symbolizes Jesus rising from the dead. When we go under, it's the burial of our old life. Coming back up, it's our resurrection, or God raising us up as he did Christ. Um, it's a symbol of a brand new life, um, and it's, we're burying the old life and rising into a new life. So just, you know, it, it is a quite a good analogy between those two and perfect for him to use it in this situation. Um, now we let's, let's look at verses 5 through 7. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. So we see in the middle of page 55 that um, his death paid the penalty for sin. His resurrection sealed the deal because it defeated the power of death once and for all. It's like two sides of a coin and neither one is complete without the other. In practical terms, we didn't just receive forgiveness of our sins, we received a new power to live differently. Baptism serves as a tangible reminder that the Christian life involves both dying and living. And that's something we definitely need to think on. Um, Our hope rests on the foundation of our death to sin, that our sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus. The phrase, Greek phrase translated rendered powerless, it says something's lost all power and influence since sin has been rendered lifeless. His resurrection makes it possible for us to live differently. The power of Christ is which, what we talked about this morning. You know, um, the gospel gives us to, the power to get rid of sin or to kill the sin in us, but it also gives us that power that we can live a sinless life or try to live the sinless life because we know that we are sinners, but um, you know we can do our best to live in, in that appropriate way. Um, a point that I uh, read, wanted to just communicate from John Piper in a little article he had on United with Christ and Death and Life. It says, um, notice that Paul denies what that what Paul denies is not that you can never commit a sin, but that you cannot live in it. Um, and then another point that he tries to put across is our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And so it's not the individual sin and and we're not perfect and and that's not what this is about, but um, we're not living in it as a whole. We're not enslaved by it. That we try our best in our walk to... um, to die to it. And it's almost like if it's day by day, it might be hour by hour because we are constantly bombarded. So we have to be so, so careful um, that our minds are right and we're trying to, you know, walk with him because it's something that we can't do on our own. We have to have his help. So based on that, and I'm on page 56, it makes no sense to believe that sin could provide any benefit for our lives. We know what slavery... Um, that to sin involved. We should never forget the high price Jesus paid to break those chains of sin. 
when and, and I love this paragraph, the second paragraph on that page 56, when we fail to re- focus on everything God has done, our logic, our spiritual vision gets a little fuzzy. It's easier to fall for the lies of the enemy and wander back into our old habits. That's what Paul challenged the Romans to avoid. They needed to live like they were dead to sin, and so do we. And that's uh, just a great point there. You know, if we don't focus on, you know, what God has done for us, um, you know, we get, we can stray. It's very easy. We should always be thankful, grateful. Um, and it's, everything is because of him. Our justification, our um, sanctification is all at the foot of the cross. It's all because of Jesus Christ. Um, just note, note that key doctrine for ba- baptism, which is in the middle of... Um, Page 56, it says, Baptism is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. And remember, it's an act of obedience, and it's a symbol. It's a symbolism. Um, We should also take it very seriously as an act that we do. And protect that in our thoughts. Um, let's go to, um, now we're into Alive with Christ. That's in the middle of page 56, and it's verses 8 through 11. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So this uh, is a very interesting part to me, I I think, and and talking about, look at the words in there that we can pick out, believe, we know, we consider. You know, so much of this is in our minds that we have to uh, have the right thinking and then let our actions follow our thoughts. But, um, you know, we believe that we will also live with them because we know that's about Christ. And then to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Um, Paul had reminded the Romans that following Christ meant identifying with his death. And he repeated his primary teaching in order to reinforce that. And we see that repeatedly because he's saying, believe, you know. We see that repeated over and over. Um, he wanted them to know that Jesus' death was only one part of the story. His crucifixion reflects our death to sin, but his resurrection means life for us. Because we died with him, we will also live with him. On page 57, the resurrection sets Christ apart from any other would-be Messiah. you got Confucius and Buddha and Muhammad, but they didn't come back from the dead. They didn't, or they were not resurrected. He is the only, the one and only, and that is how we should um, treat him. As a result of his resurrection, we are free from sin in this life and the next. We are justified, declared righteous, and we're also sanctified, set apart for God's purpose. And really, that's a lot of this chapter six is we're headed, you know, sanctification. We had justification before, and this is working on our sanctification. We live in the power and presence of Jesus each day. 
in verse 11, he mentions the responsibility of the believers to consider. And that's, you know, something that we need to take very seriously. Um, along with the part about believe and know. But that's a choice we make. We have to accept that responsibility of considering um, ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. We cannot earn salvation, but we can choose how to live out our salvation. Uh, the Greek term for consider carries the challenge to accept God's words is true. We believe in what he's done for us, but we also believe what he says about who we are now in him. I just wanted to share the, this with you that I had gotten uh, found in looking over the lesson, but this is from Stephen Cole and got it off of Bible.org. It said, false first command in Romans is at 611, even so consider yourself to be dead to sin but alive to Christ. Um, consider is in the present tense and means con- count, keep on counting it to be true. You don't count it to be true because you feel dead to sin and alive to God, but rather because God says it's true. And the truest thing about you is not what you feel, but what God declares to be true. Victory over sin begins with your mind and how you think. It isn't just a mind game where you tell yourself over and over that it's true until you actually believe it's true. Paul isn't saying to deny reality by thinking positive thoughts. He isn't saying visualize yourself as being dead to sin and then you'll act that way. Rather, he's saying this is the fact of who God has made you in Christ. You are no longer an Adam, alive to sin, but dead towards God. Rather, you are now in Christ Jesus, um, dead to sin and alive to God. Think on that truth. As you think, so you will act. So consider it over and over as often as you face temptation. Living in the light of your union with Christ is key to overcoming sin. I thought that was just good words and something to to take to heart. Uh, one other thing, and I don't I don't know if y'all I know everybody knows who Lauren Daigle is, but her number one song recently has been "You Say," which to me so ties into this. And I was just. Hope we, I think we're okay on time, but I was just going to read through this. Is, no, I'm not going to sing it, no. <laughs> um, I, okay, here we go. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. And I'm just going to, I'll do that refrain when we finish. Um. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing, and you know you say I'm strong when I think I'm weak, and you say I'm held when I'm falling short, when I don't belong. Oh, you say I'm yours, and I believe, oh, I believe what you say of me. Oh, I believe. Taking all I have and now, I'm laying it at your feet. You have every failure, God. You have every victory. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me, and you I find my worth, and you I find my identity. So I think that song, I had a new appreciation for that song after reading that. I think it just, those words are beautiful and um, heartfelt. So just something to play this week to kind of get in, in tune with the lesson. Um, at the In the middle of that page 57, it says, How will considering yourselves dead to sin... And alive in Christ affects our daily lives. And what might a person considering themselves dead to sin look like today? So just, um, again, 
things to think about uh, and ponder as you go through those things because that's how we have to think about ourselves, how we have to consider ourselves, and know that you know that's where God would have us to be. All right, that um, let's go to tools of righteousness, uh, Romans six twelve through fourteen. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. So some interesting... um, Information here to go over of those first few years. It says at the bottom of 57, salvation is not only about eternity, it has implications for here and now. It calls for a particular lifestyle, a lifestyle based on righteousness, which is what we've been, you know, discussing here all along. All right, now on page 58. When they accepted Christ, Romans surrendered to a different king. Previously, sin had been in charge. They had little choice but to obey its demands. Sin is always a cruel taskmaster. It dominates and enslaves. Um, The phrase, do not let sin reign, is an imperative command in the Greek, challenging readers to reject their old lives and honor God during their short stint in these human bodies. Spiritual warfare is taking place all around us, and that's certainly a... I think in, at this time, it's just incredible. You know, we can see it, we can feel it, and it's right in our faces every day. Before we came to Christ, we were weapons for unrighteousness. The enemy owned us and read, used us in his battle against God. The idea behind offer yourselves pointed back to the old sacrificial system. Now we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to a loving father who knows our potential in spiritual battle. God calls us to devote our entire beings, including our bodies, to lead others into the kingdom by living righteously. And ask some questions there, but I'm going ahead to the last verse, and then we'll come back to that. Paul ended um, this section with a declaration that sin will not rule over you. He returned to a theme from the earlier letter, the law versus grace. Sin, uh, since sin no longer reigns in our lives, we no longer need to worry about satisfying the demands of the law or being condemned by it. Instead, we live under grace, which places us squarely within the loving embrace of our Heavenly Father. Christ freely offered himself on our behalf so that we might freely offer ourselves to God. So again, think about those that the questions there in the middle. In what practical ways can you offer yourself up as weapons in the fight? And I think to offering ourselves, just reminiscent of that sacrificial system, that's one way that we can try to live this. Is that you know he wants the best, and so we need to try to live the best while if we can live, and that is the best sacrifice we can do to our loving God, and try to keep it in perspective. For him and at, at all times. Um, this is another little thing from that same note from John Piper, and I thought it was really good for this lesson. It says, um, "The Christian life is an already and not a not yet experience of this sinless position and identity and union with Christ. What happened to Christ Jesus historically and finally and unchangeably, and to us in Him, is applied to us not all at once in its fullness, but some now." completely and some now progressively and all fully in the age to come. 
We're already fully forgiven and acquitted and declared righteous and justified with Christ by faith. And we're already delivered from slavery to sin. That is from the power of sin as a defining direction of our lives. And we're all, and we are already able by faith to grow more and more triumphant over sin in daily life. We are, but we are not yet perfected in our daily earthly experience. We must fight the fight of faith and become in experience by faith what we are perfectly in our union with Christ. Um, you see the already and the not yet uh, in this. Um, if you're a Christian, God, you created a union between you and Christ. Because of this union, you died with Christ when he died. Because you died, you're now free from guilt and power of sin in your life um, and have your fullest and truest identity in the union. And because of this position and identity, you're already justified. You're most certainly being sanctified, but you're not perfected and therefore confirm this transaction by reckoning yourself to what you really are in Christ. Just things to think about. Um, just briefly, I wanted to, uh, and there's something that y'all can look at too or think about. And, and Joe and I talked about this the other day about the talking about weapons of righteousness. We kind of like the words instruments of righteousness instead of weapons of righteousness. But, um, you know, just a few little things. Think about your, you know, it says offer your whole self, but then, you know, the parts of the whole, just think about, you know, your mind. Uh, we, we use our minds as instruments of righteousness by acquiring knowledge of God's word and understanding what he expects of us. Um, our ears. In order to, to use our ears properly, we must have them open to the truth, and then we must be willing to listen. With our eyes, we cannot always control what we see, but we need to control where our focus is directed. Uh, we do not need to use our eyes to focus on those things that are evil. Our tongues. We know that Proverbs says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Um, we must speak the truth, and we must speak words of encouragement to edify others. Um, our hands talked about we're not to work simply for empty pursuits, but to fulfill our God-given responsibilities. Um, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Our feet. As the Lord's disciples, we need to be sure we're headed in the right direction. Your word is the lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Psalms 119.105. Wherever we go, we must go with the gospel. Our hearts. In the Bible, the heart refers to the seed of our thoughts, intentions, motivations, and priorities. Um, using our bodies as instruments of righteousness doesn't mean we simply go through the motions of service. He says we must be obedient from the heart. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So, you know, it sounds a little difficult when you think, but when you break it down like that, that's exactly how we would use and how we can approach that. Um, In the context, um, Jesus' death frees the believer from the slavery of sin. Jesus' resurrection secures eternal life for the believer. Believers demonstrate their salvation through righteous living. Um, and we have three things, three other questions that, you know, please look over this week. It says, examine your life for sinful attitudes and actions. What steps do you need to take to be free from sin? And again, this lesson says we're dead to sin, but it doesn't mean we're, we won't sin. Yeah, it is, we're, we're not perfect. It's a process. 
discuss as a group ways of encouraging one another to die to sin and live for Christ. What actions might the group need to take in light of this discussion? And then how does your everyday life point others toward Christ and what needs to change in your words, actions, attitudes, and to more effectively point others to Christ? Okay, Ron, can you close this, please? Uh, let's all pray together. Uh, our dear gracious Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we ask you to please bless all those who have heard this lesson. Uh, help each one of us to fully understand what it means to be dead to sin, but alive with Christ. As we meditate on this, Lord, help us to see what needs to change in our lives, to help us demonstrate to others what it means to no longer be slaves to sin, but free under your grace. Lord, help us to have more effective words, actions, and attitudes to point others to you. Lord, we ask you to cover us with your mercy and grace as we continue living through this coronavirus threat. Help us as Christians to live according to our calling and to look for the good that will come out of all this suffering. Lord, may your church thrive as never before as we navigate through these trials. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.